listening to the Franchise Podcast Network, presented by Lucky Star Casino. KRXO FM and KRXO HD Oklahoma City, a product of Tyler Media, reaching over 1 million Oklahomans every week. Now, the Outdoor Hour, giving you the inside scoop on the great outdoors on 1077 The Franchise. As long as I can remember, I've been drawn to the outdoors. There's something primal in each of us that awakens when we step outside the bounds of modern society and back into the vast possibilities of the natural world. The more civilized our lives become, the louder our hearts cry for reconnection with our native ways. Failure is imminent, dangers drawing nigh, but approached with reverence and tact, the outdoors return wisdom in game. In both the outdoors and in life, harvests are fleeting, but lessons and memories abound. With that in mind, we step forth boldly together in pursuit of ourselves outdoors. We are nothing more than tree stand troubadours. Welcome inside the outdoor hour. It's an exciting time of year as an outdoorsman. Is it? It's a sad time of the year. I feel refreshed, and this is going to be crazy, I know. A lot of people feel that end of bird season depression. A lot of people feel that end of deer season depression. I almost get a little pep in my step to be like, man, I survived another season. <laughs> you made it. I made it. You made it. The your, last your few weeks were rough. Here. Yes. Yeah. Uh, my marriage survived <laughs> another year in the outdoors. I'm so happy for you. But I mean, around here especially, there's a lot to look forward to. You being in the fishing world, there's a lot, yeah. you know, on the horizon. We can get in a little bit more of that. But man, I got a little pep in my step today. Yeah, I love that. Um I don't. But that's okay. Well, let me turn that around for you. Okay. We've got a great episode lined up this week for you. Um, I, as you know, a weekend warrior, outdoorsman, get to play in this world of conservation, and I get to do a lot um, as a consumer of the outdoors to try to add to the conservation efforts. And, and I pretend with the best of them to know what's going on on a big scale. You're really good at pretending. I can BS yeah, with the best of you're them. You're good. Right? Yeah. Um, but there are people like you, Joshua Wildman Stratton, in the house. that live in this space, in the governing bodies world, in the conservation world, and our guest this week is one of the best and one of the biggest in that space. Uh, we are joined this week by Cal, Ryan Callahan, the Director of Conservation for Meat Eater. Among many other things, I know he's probably even busier than you, and that's yeah, saying something. Yeah, I think something. that's fair. Yeah. yeah. So without further ado, after the worst introduction that he's probably ever had in his career, Cal, welcome to the Outdoor Hour. Oh, I can tell you some things. Uh, no, thank you very much. Happy to be here. Happy this uh, got put together. So, uh, how did this get I, put together? Uh, you know, oh, <laughs> lots of missed phone calls and and mixed texts. I also have a big issue um, that constantly burns me. Starting about three years ago, my uh, iPhone just drops contacts. So. Um, I Sounds like a, a really good cover. Yeah, can I... It is good cover, but also a huge pain in the butt because I'm constantly like, who, who, who is this? What do you want? <laughs> Why are you uh, texting me? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, exactly. Cal and I, yeah, so. we had the, uh, I don't know if Cal would say it's been uh, a blessing to his life. It's been a blessing to mine. 
Uh, I think it was 2011, maybe. Cal was still at First Light uh, then, and um, we took some of the First Light apparel on the road with the Fly Fishing Film Tour early on, and and Cal uh, was nice enough to support a show that me and some other buddies spun up called Kings of Game that used to be on Carbon TV, and um, that's how Cal and I kind of uh, intersected into each other's lives, and uh, we, we've uh, had some cool opportunities, I think, this year being the coolest opportunity thus far uh, for us to to link up and, and share our passions for conservation and, and this way of life, and uh, some of this episode is to talk about that. Yeah, you guys got to be a part of a project together. Cal, a lot of people obviously know who you are through your connection with Meat Eater and some of the work that you've done there, the Cal's Week in Review podcast. Um, you know, the Snort Report is one of my favorites. Um, but why is this so important to you? How did you get into this space, and why do you spend so much dang time and energy on conservation? Oh, I guess the the glib quick answer is because that's the only thing that's important, you know. Um, I have spent uh, my my whole life trying to figure out how to just spend time outside, um, and I, you know, took very non traditional path to wherever it is I am now, um, and most of that was guiding for anything outside. Um, hunting, fishing, whitewater, some uh, other types of recreation. And, um, you know, got to see a lot of really amazing transformative experiences for the majority of the people that I took out. Um, folks that, that just had no idea, you know, how big the wilderness actually is or um, – the fact that like rivers don't run on circular paths, um, all sorts of things that you kind of take for granted growing up in this space or getting to see people who saw a grizzly bear for the first time or heard a wolf howl for the first time or an elk bugle for the first time, even though that, you know, they've read every outdoor life magazine, uh, that's come out for the past 20 years. Um, so you see those impacts that, um, these places have on people and the reality is like not that many people get to see these things firsthand and um, like I said it kind of takes this stuff for granted when they're detached from it so um, I got into some like outdoor production work working behind the camera and got to see how those operations worked and then um kind of fit that into my guiding schedule and that dovetailed really nice because when i uh didn't have uh clients clients to guide for a week when i was working in new mexico i could call an outfitter and, and or uh you know i could call a production company and say like hey i'm based down here for this part of archery season i can run a camera or do production work of whatever kind and I could kind of get those things to work. So I wasn't driving all the way back uh, with my two yellow labs and my dirty truck to Montana for no reason other than, you know, to selfishly hunt for myself. So um, got to see that. And then 
through uh, the guiding and the production work, I end up, um, you know, doing some kind of marketing and PR type work for some uh, outdoor soft goods companies and going to trade shows and then uh, hooked up with the, the angel investor the first ever angel investor for first light and he and I really hit it off and, and he's the reason that I ended up working at first light because at the point at which I met him, uh, it was literally a concept and, uh, that funky logo that everybody, they kind of think it's like an XD, which uh, is hilarious to me still, but um, it's a great logo. It's sun coming up over a mountain, first light of the day. Um, and uh, obviously really clicked with uh, the name as well. And one of the things that I've always enjoyed about the name first light is your, your most hardened uh, competition in the hunting space. If they actually hunt, they still say your name. Um, they still say your name, First Light, uh, whenever they describe a hunting day, right? It's like, well, First Light, we did this because that's when the best things happen. Yeah, it's awesome product placement, if nothing else, for you, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a lot of people that work in this space. There's even more people like me that are primarily consumers of the space. Um, there are some creatives in the outdoor category that today are churning out better and better content than ever before. And you've been fortunate to be a part of some of those projects, um, from Netflix to YouTube, you name it. Um, Cal is on some of the cutting edge stuff, but I think what about you is most impressive to me and the little bit that we've chatted here, I, I think that it's probably what you hang your hat on. If I can put words in your mouth there is the, the niche that you've carved out for yourself in that conservation and legislative world because it's so important to us as outdoorsmen, but it's not the flashy, sexy part of being an outdoorsman. Um, but to tune in your podcast, to read stuff that you've written online, and to know that you're always at the forefront of local political races and the impact that they have on a region, you know, whether it's the changing of a hunting season or a land access piece. Um, it's just cool to know that there's someone out there that is so hyper-focused at both the macro and micro levels of these things. Did you know you had a knack for that or is that something you just kind of stumbled into? Um, you know, it's a weird, weird thing. Like, it takes you a long time to uh, understand that uh, talking to people is an actual skill. And if you're just willing to tell your story, that can really help some of these um, legislative or game commission level or city council level issues that we run into as, as hunters and anglers. Um, and the reality is, you know, hunters and anglers are just not great at showing up because we have this fear 
that we're going to give too much info information away, right? It's like, well, why the hell are all these people fired up about this particular spot? It must be good hunting or fishing, right? And uh, some of that uh, certainly can be true, but uh, I like to tell people if we're more proactive about our stuff, then uh, it wouldn't come down to these hyper-local issues that actually do burn your spot. Um, and that's, that's a big education thing. And, and that is, that is like the true trophy, man. Like I love more than anything. Um, and I feel bad saying it because my bird dog is right here. Um, high mountain, big mule deer. That is, that is my thing. I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, but I know if I can get people fired up enough to call their state representatives and call their legislators and um, make sure that these places exist and I can actually access them, that I'll be able to hunt these deer next year or the year after or two or three times a year. Um, but if all I do is what I truthfully really want to do is just not talk to anybody and, and stay in the woods and, and hone my mule deer hunting craft, um, that stuff is going to go away. Well, we happen to have a mule deer expert in the room. Not me. With a professional, me. let me say it this way, <laughs> a professional interest in the protection there of mule is. deer in Joshua Stratton. And I know you guys teamed up for a project not too long ago here in the state of Oklahoma. Coming up in the next segment, we're going to talk specifically about that, how it came to be, the goals of the project, the product of this project, um, some harvests, some challenges, all of that kind of stuff. I've heard the Cliff's Notes version of this from you, Josh. I'm excited to learn a little bit more. So make sure you come back after the break to hear about that one uh, in partnership with Meat Eater and the Mule Deer Foundation. Um, there's a film that's going to be released at the Western Hunt Expo. There are some more projects coming up. Um, Cal, I know you've got a podcast and some other projects. We'll let you talk about each of these things as we march ahead in this week's Outdoor Hour. Our guest this week is Cal, Ryan Callahan, the Director of Conservation from Meat Eater. I'm Taylor Maples. That's Joshua Wildman Stratton. And behind the glass this week, as always, our fearless producer is Maddie Goldbranson, Goldfish, on the ones and twos. We're going to hit a break. Join us on the other side. You're listening to the Outdoor Hour on 1077 The Franchise. You're listening to the Outdoor Hour with your host Taylor Maples and Josh Stratton on 1077 The Franchise. Welcome back inside the outdoor hour. Sitting down this week with Ryan Callahan, director of conservation from Meat Eater. It's the end of deer season here in Oklahoma. If you froze your butt off this year in a deer blind, I highly recommend you spend some time between now and next fall 
and check out Oki Hides. They are the most overbuilt deer blinds you will find on the market, and they're made right here in Oklahoma City by Oklahomans. Oki Hides, that's O-K-I-E-S, nope, O-K-I-E-H-I-D-E-S. Spelling was never a strength of mine. That's why you're on radio. That's why I'm on radio. Oki Hides. Find them at okihides.com or on social media at Oki Hides. 26-gauge galvanized sheeting, marine-grade carpeting, carbine blackout curtains. These things are awesome. You'll never find a better-built hunting hide than Oki Hides. We're chatting with Ryan Callahan this week. And, Josh, you guys connected on a project not too long ago here in Oklahoma through MDF in partnership with Meat Eater. How did that start? Was it your brainchild? Was it theirs? Who came to who? How did this whole thing get going? Uh, for me, it started from this, you know, always looking for something new, right? And I think MDF has an obligation to showcase the the, the entire landscape of the mule deer. And there, there are pockets where we haven't told story yet and uh, that we haven't talked about those herds. And so I had initially spoke with um, a friend of both Cal and I's, um, Luke Thorkinson from Weatherby, who happens to sit on the national board for the Mule Deer Foundation, and said, hey, I think there could be a pretty cool story to do something uh, down here in Oklahoma. And um, as we started looking into that, we realized, like, man, there was actually a really cool story about a brand new research project um, that was launching uh, here in Oklahoma, specifically looking at mule deer and how they, where do they come from, where do they go, how long are they here. Um, and uh, Cal and I were on the phone one day, and I was telling him about how we were thinking about doing this. And and Cal, as he's already stated, you know, conservation is this really um, very important thing to him to be lifting up and. Um, he j- w- jumped at the opportunity to to come here to a place. Uh, Cal, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, you had never hunted here prior to that, and um, was really excited to learn more about the research that was going to be going on. And so, um, that's how it started. And then uh, the meat eater team and and uh, Cal and and his producer Jason uh, really ran with it from there, and um, we were able to fold in the wildlife department and. Uh, Coulter from Oklahoma State University and our our good friend Kurt Kulinski came out and uh, who's a regular on the show and uh, so yeah I, th- I think it it really turned out great it was a wonderful experience for me uh, but would love Cal for you to kind of expand on on what that experience was like for you uh, I am easily charmed so uh, new places for me, new hunting experiences uh, are always very high on my list. Um, one of the like most amazing things about my job is just those opportunities to just go see new parts of the country, um, kind of jump in with other folks and see how they do things, all the little bits of like hunting culture. So uh, coming out to the Oklahoma Panhandle was super cool. Um, couldn't, yeah, I just, I couldn't believe the landscape. The The area that we were in is very like uh, New Mexico, but like dustier and drier 
in a lot of ways. <laughs> yeah, um, you're you're not lying. Man, was it dry. Yeah. Man, was yeah, it dry. Yeah, and I talked to uh, a couple of guide outfitter types over there, and they were like, oh, this is the wettest it's been in, like, the last 10 years. Typically, when you walk across the field, the dust cloud follows you. So and, here's what's crazy uh, about Oklahoma is when you talk to people, everybody wants to tell you what Oklahoma is and what you can anticipate. And moving to Oklahoma about six years ago from Colorado, I had my preconceptions about what it was going to be. But what I've learned since moving here is there are 13 distinct ecoregions in the state of Oklahoma. You know, where else can you find elk and alligators like you can in Oklahoma? And, yeah, up there in the panhandle, man, there are places it's it's kind of like the surface of the moon. And to think of there being mule deer in that habitat is wild to me. It wasn't friendly, was it, Cal? No, and <laughs> lots of just oaky crap, too. Just Yeah. I, I refer to my pants as my pokey pants. Oh, yeah. Because it, it was like self-flagellation uh, type of deal, putting those things on every day. Yeah, it, it was, was a bit like, of torture on top of the fact that it was like, you know, five degrees outside. Uh, you had to crawl into some pokey pants. Um, yeah, but it, worn uh just worn my brush pants that i had i known but it was um yeah man uh tough country also pretty uniform so uh not a lot of like get up to a spot and be able to see all the country like you really had to move and find little vantage points to look at a relatively small amount of area um all of it was like very compelling, like really beautiful country. Definitely like like the type of canyon mesa plateau country where you uh, can really envision seeing some giant jaw dropping buck out there. So that was that was super cool. But like Josh said, like the diversity from eastern Oklahoma to western Oklahoma is is kind of similar to western montana to eastern montana like um you see like lots of grass and rolling brush and like this feeling like there's a lot of water around in one part of the state and then you get out to the other part of the state and it is just the exact opposite so someone like you that travels as much as you do for hunting has got to be really in tune with the nuances of the laws and the gear and strategies and all of that. I'm sure you do quite a bit of research before you come somewhere for the first time, but how did you find Oklahoma to be um, in terms of barriers to entry for hunting, whether that's you know topographical, whether that's legislative, licensing, anything? Um, what was the experience like for the first time planning a trip to come to Oklahoma to hunt. Was it nuanced from anywhere else you've been? No, because like the reality is, is um, you kind of just look at the, the 10 day forecast and try to do the best you can. Right. So, um, what was the forecast? I'm trying to remember. Did you guys get snow? It snowed just before we showed up, like a few days prior to us showing up. And then um, 
we because that like really played into uh our our crazy uh flight path that we took to get there and then um it was man it wasn't i don't think it got down to the single digits but um real cold evenings real cold mornings like definitely um low double digits and then uh warming up during the days to you know like when there's no wind and it's blue sky and the sun shining it kind of feels like it's 80 but it's probably 45 sure well how was the hunting and then the wind blew like crazy the last day last two days i think so just ripping um, man the wind was ripping yeah yeah and yeah it was it was bizarre man because there was like i said like everywhere i looked i was like oh yeah i could see a mule deer stepping out of here i could see see a mule deer stepping out of here um and they just were not there like by and large not there there was some like historical sign um but not signs of like deer living there so um my sense and that's all we have to go on right now is like my sense is like this is an area where deer like push through um and we were there largely in between groups pushing through um but we did find um some small small pockets one oddly enough like right at camp and then um, some, you know, that unfortunately were kind of keyed into the only chunk of irrigated ground, I think, for many, many, many square miles. So, yeah, it, it, it was uh, it was hard. It, it was hard, uh, hard work. Um, we, we traveled a lot of ground. Um and had people all over the place. Um, and, and I think, you know, uh, and Cal, you know, maybe you're comfortable kind of talking about this a little bit, but, um, you know, it seemed like a, uh, transitional ground. It just seemed like they're moving through there and an area that's probably very heavily dependent on there being a lot of early snow in, uh, Colorado, Kansas, um, some of those other areas to to push uh, those deer down into that area. You think that's a fair statement, Cal? I I think so, right? And that's yeah. that's where the Meteor Foundation comes in. Yeah, we got to go figure State that University. out. Yeah, yeah, we got to go figure that out with uh, ODWC and uh, OSU. So you guys did partner with Oklahoma State. Obviously, you mentioned Kurt Kuglinski. Um, how does the time you spent there now shape your work? Yeah, so, you know, to be clear, like, the research that OSU is doing is fully funded by ODWC, right? We we were not uh, involved, being we as in Mule Deer Foundation, involved in the launching of this or the funding of this research. Um, and so we caught wind of it we have uh, we're working on ways to further support the research as they move forward and to continue uh, what they're doing um but what does it do for us as an organization that d- that data is key right so you know as we 
we have a Southern Great Plains biologist uh, based out of Amarillo who oversees that area of Oklahoma as well. And so the data that will be uh, collected by Coulter and uh, his colleague Levi at uh, Texas A&M, um, they're also doing this, a similar project, well, the exact same work, to be honest, in Texas. And they're going to take both data sets, combine them together, and start coming up with what they believe to be going on. Um, and so that will that will be the the compass at which we use to make decisions. Um, where are those areas that we really need to go look further into and do habitat work? Where are there big uh, swaths of private land that we need to start building relationship with those private landowners to help them with some conservation efforts on their lands? Um, how do we stitch this very um, segmented landscape back together to uh, ensure the long-term success of mule deer in this part of the country. And, um, you know, I don't want to uh, share too much about uh, the project coming out, but, you know, I will tell you this is basically the last piece of the puzzle. This is the last section of the mule deer landscape that there has there's no data. And so we're finally filling in that map. We're, we're putting the whole puzzle together um, with the work that OSU and ODWC is doing. And so it's really, really important work. It's really important data. Um, it will hopefully uh, not only just impact us, but impact decisions that the Wildlife Department is making um, on, you know, Cal, I'm sure will speak to this. He thought it was pretty wild that you could just fly into a place and get a tag and that tag pretty much care of covered you for the entire state. Um, uh, you know, that's new and different if you, if you've grown up in Montana. And so, uh, I'm not to here to say that that's right or wrong. Um, uh, but I, I will say we don't have the right data at this point in time to say if that's right or wrong. And so I'm excited for, um, that information to come back and it's going to take years for that information to come back. But, um, as it starts trickling in, um, the, I know that Cal is eager to see it and, and to follow along and, uh, we are as well. And so, um, it, it should be, it should be super cool, uh, to see, you know, we were able to capture something again. I'm not going to go into detail, but, um, Cal and his crew were able to cap capture on film something that um, the biologist had no idea if it was actually happening here or not, and um, they were able to film it actually happening. And so um, that made the biologist super excited. Um, and I can I can say from like a personal level, um, I don't know if I've ever been on a filming project where we captured something for the first known time, right? Like rarely are you telling biologists something they don't already know or giving them evidence of something that they're not already aware of. And um, I didn't witness it. I'm waiting for the footage uh, to come out for me to see it myself. But uh, to know that we were a part of something that will fundamentally help uh, biologists and, and their approach to the management of this species in this state, I think is uh, super cool. Um, Cal, what are your thoughts? Man. Yeah, no, I, I, I'd reflect a, a bunch of that. Um, I do think in, you know, my part of the West, we get pretty darn specific. And I've learned that, like, the Montana way of doing things 
uh, Wyoming way of doing things, Idaho way of doing things, is definitely not the Arkansas, Alabama way of doing things or the Michigan, Wisconsin way of doing things, right? Um, So it is always interesting to me when I see these differences in wildlife management versus, like, um, in Montana, if you have a very – limited resource that's in a very specific region of the state that's going to get a lot more uh, attention paid to it from all the factors from the hunters and the uh, hunter managers right so it is different when you fly into extreme Eastern Oklahoma, you get a deer tag that's good for the entire state, and then you drive from extreme eastern Oklahoma to extreme western Oklahoma. You see how you know drastically different the state is, and you're there for this tiny little resource that exists in one very small portion of the state, but it's all... Uh, kind of managed uh under one blanket that is different to me right but like josh said that doesn't mean that it's uh the wrong way it doesn't mean that it's the right way either because we just don't know uh what it is these mule deer are doing and you know there's a big takeaway that i had um talking with some of the game managers in the state um was like Boy, just from the uh, the poop on the ground that I see, um, these deer do not, they don't live here, the ones that we're hunting. They live uh, south of here and north of here because all the poop uh, in one whole chunk of this area that we were hunting uh, was strung out from north to south um, and never in a pile. It was all strung out about five yards uh on average so um telling me that those deer were in transit it sounds like the practices here whether right or wrong have created an opportunity for some oversight of that population and it's neat that you guys are trying to tell that story trying to partner with some of these organizations that are doing this research to help us better understand this resource uh, as it is here in Oklahoma. It's time for us to squeeze in another break. On the other side, I want to talk about the film premiere of this project uh, so people can actually see the sights, hear the sounds, understand um, the research that is being done and be a part of all of that. Um, as well as talk about some more upcoming projects and that kind of stuff. Whether you are trying to hoof it across miles and miles of uh, terrain in western Oklahoma, or you're just trying to increase your fitness level riding around Lake Hefner here in Oklahoma City, you can do it all on a Pedego e-bike. I encourage you to go talk to Lance at Pedego OKC. He's got 17 different models of bikes that he can put you on that'll meet your size, your frame, your needs, your exertion level. I'm riding a Pedego Element. I take it out on the deer lease with me all the time. I can throw a bucket on with corn in it. I can get back in there more silently, secretly. 
not mess up so much of the deer patterning as so many of my peers that are on uh, 4x4s or anything like that. I have had so much fun with this uh, Pedego e-bike that I got right here at Pedego OKC. Check it out. Go for a test ride today. I promise it will be the most fun you have all week long. Go see Lance at Pedego OKC and mention the Outdoor Hour, and he'll save you some money at the register as well. We're chatting this week with Ryan Callahan from Meat Eater. As always, Joshua Wildman Stratton, Matty Goldbranson, and I'm Taylor Maples. We'll be back after this. You're listening to the Outdoor Hour on 107.7 The Franchise. Now back to the Outdoor Hour with your host Taylor Maples and Josh Stratton on 1077 The Franchise. Welcome back inside the Outdoor Hour. Final segment this week with Ryan Callahan, Director of Conservation from Meat Eater, chatting about the Dust Bowl Mule Deer film project that Meat Eater, Mule Deer Foundation, ODWC, your Oklahoma Department of Wildlife Conservation. Coming on in hot. The little smirk that you give me every time I do that I makes it, it so worth it. I love it. This whole process is worth it just for that. All right, good. Good. <laughs> Man, you guys, sounds like you had a great time. Sounds like it'll be a project we're seeing. Um, for someone like me that is on the consumption side if i want to see it how can i see it yeah so if you make a an effort to, to uh, run out to the western hunt and conservation expo in salt lake city uh february 15th through the 18th it will premiere on february 15th um at room 255e from two to four and uh kurt kulinski is actually going to fly out and uh, we're going to have a, a panel post-review, uh, uh, premiere. Uh, it's going to be hosted by Clay Newcomb, and uh, Cal will be there, and um, some other individuals who are involved in the film to just talk about the experience and the research and uh, what we're all excited about. If you can't do that, well, then you're just going to have to wait till it comes out on Cal's show, uh, which hopefully, Cal, if I'm correct, will be sometime in fall of 2024. Yes, I, I'm probably October, I'm guessing. Okay, cool. So, yeah, if you you come out to Expo, you'll get a, a sneak peek and uh, get to see it, and then uh, all you other dedicated Meat Eater fans are just going to have to wait till it uh, hits Cal's channel. But, uh, yeah, super excited. And, and our intent is to do some follow-up content um, and uh, follow along as they go down this journey of – uh, filling in the blank spaces and collecting that data. And so uh, I would suspect that uh, whether it's from uh, Meat Eater or from Mule Deer Foundation or just Cal himself, um, we'll, you'll be able to follow along as as we follow along and learn more about uh, what they're doing there. So, you know, another project that uh, the Mule Deer Foundation has the opportunity to partner with uh, the meat eater organization with is uh, something that actually came from them and, and they initiated over at first light called brush for bucks uh, which is really one of the few pr- times that uh, mdf has a volunteer involved in a volunteer faced um, planting project um, we don't do a whole lot of those um, but cal why don't you 
chat about that. It, uh, this is new for MDF. Last year was our first year to be partnered with them as the conservation organization attached to Brush for Bucks. And uh, Cal and I linked up there with some of our other friends, and it was a lot of fun. But, uh, Cal, why don't you give us some backstory on that? Yeah, it, you could you could say it's a little bit of the tail wagging the dog, I guess. But, um, you know, Josh can attest to this, as can anybody in conservation spaces, right? Like, people want to be involved with, like, the action. And they get hesitant the more and more they're removed from that action, right? So um, you could have people volunteer to, uh, you know, um plant brush in this case bitter brush um sagebrush seedlings um but they may not be the same people who would volunteer to donate a dollar for administrative costs that need to happen at mule deer foundation so um old ford van fossen over on the first slide side of things working with and i think it was largely um the boys from hush's brainchild here that we were able to um help form up on the first light side of things but we get super dedicated people that want to get involved in conservation in some way feel that dirt underneath their fingernails they they're not really sure how to get involved but they have this trusted third party in uh you know uh, uh casey and, and brian and all the the folks involved with hush these days and the guys from hush are like we are going to go out and we're going to plant uh bitter brush and sagebrush seedlings uh on these slopes um, largely in winter range for mule deer, critical mule deer habitat. Um, and you can come out and be a part of this too. And we sell tickets. We uh, fund the purchase of the seedlings working with Idaho Fish and Game. And then uh, under their instruction, we identify an area where we can go out uh, get things set up, camp, do some instruction for all these first-time volunteers, and then we go out and we plant our butts off for the day and then have, you know, a great barbecue, feed everybody, and um, raffle off a bunch of great, awesome donated stuff from, like, Camp Chef and Vortex and Loophold and, and First Light and a bunch of other awesome companies and um, and it's it's a really cool, great introduction. It's not always comfortable. The weather can be crap, but you get out there and you really sweat and you get to see what the boots on the ground impact is of just one day of volunteering on a, a project where you're literally putting the resources in the ground for multiple generations of mule deer down the down the line so um really cool project how'd i do josh yeah it's outstanding it's um it's cool to see that many people show up if you want to learn more go to uh hushin's 
Facebook page, and uh, you can actually see an episode they released on Brush for Bucks from last year. Um, and it'll kind of give you a feel for what it's all about. But man, it is a wonderful, passionate group of people who uh, want to put their money where their mouth is, uh, you know, and uh, get their hands dirty and, and uh, have a good day of hard work improving the places that they like to enjoy and recreate on. And um, it's an honor for MDF to be involved in the project now and, and looking forward to how it's growing. So, you know, this year, Cal, I know you've got some aspirations for uh, us to expand it and, and uh, do a Brush for Bucks in Montana, uh, as well as the traditional Idaho event. Um, I guess we should probably get to actually planning uh, these plantings, huh? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's certainly not winter enough in Montana to uh, not be thinking about the spring here. So, um, yeah, I, identify the, the places that need it the most and where we can uh, safely and uh, low impact bring a bunch of people up on a slope and, and uh, start improving it for the better. So. I know uh, from our end, and I haven't shared this with you, but um, we've had some wonderful conversations with Can Am, who are, are very much interested in getting even more integrated uh, in for into Brush for Bucks uh, moving forward uh, between your all's relationship with them, the relationship they have with Hush, and then the relationship they have with us. Uh, it's one of the things that they're really excited about in 2024. So excited to see where that comes. And we'll just have to keep everyone posted as we and updated as we find out more about where we're going and when it's going to be. And um, I will tell you, folks, uh, keep your eye out because it is an event that sells out rather quickly. And um, but it's super fun. We got just a few oh, yeah. minutes. Go ahead, Cal. Oh, sorry. No, it it is it it's super fun. Like, um, you know, the best things come through uh, hard work, right? The things that you remember the most, and uh, you get out there, and um, I'll be out there sweating alongside you, as will Josh and um, and everybody else, and and you get a this mountain of seedlings, mountain. and it's very gratifying to watch that mountain get uh distributed all over the the slope that you're working on and um to think about what uh what that area is going to become in the future um amazing habitat for for birds and bucks and bees and and you're you're putting something back it's pretty cool we're getting close to the end of the time slot here cal big picture question for you here looking at conservation over the next five, 10 years, uh, what are the biggest concerns you have? And are there any specific to our region here? Um, you can go any direction you want with that, but what stands out to you that people need to be paying more attention to in conservation than they are right now? Yeah, boy. Um, you know, there, there's a, a ton of stuff. I, I think the biggest issue that we face bar none is we are a hard group to motivate into being proactive right we're we're very good at being defensive but our offense just sucks so getting out there uh being proactive on the landscape working with your state and your state agencies to ensure that we have um good habitat places to hunt 
and maintaining our ability to hunt and fish, right? Um, and those are, you know, things that we take for granted, but they're things that, that can go away. Not It's only seen as a right from the folks who hunt. And we can look at a lot of other states, uh, which are currently in session right now, that uh, are fighting some of these battles of, um, you know, whether it's a restructure of the Fish and Game Commission to include people who represent interests that have nothing to do with hunting or fishing. Um, and we see an erosion of our dollars uh, being dispersed to projects that uh, aren't giving back to hunting and fishing. Uh, we see uh, issues like ballot box biology, which is a really catchy phrase, but um, look at the state of Colorado right now where um, there's going to be a ban on uh, hunting of mountain lions and bobcats um, going up for a citizen's initiative. Um, they're collecting uh, uh, signatures on a petition for that right now. So that's got nothing to do. They're completely circumventing the biologists that we talked about. They're circumventing the um, state game commission and they're just going to um, people who have no stake in the game directly and uh, showing them uh, fuzzy pictures of kittens and saying, who would kill these? Uh, hunters are trying to eradicate these, which is just not the case. Um, but that's a great example of you know, we don't tell our, our hunting stories very well to people who don't hunt. And uh, we got to get better at that right now, or in the state of Colorado, at least, we could see the loss of the ability to hunt mountain lions, not for a reason other than a bunch of people who don't even go outside or saying they don't like it. So um, there's little things like that. Um, that can turn into big things. Um, in the uh, great one, right, in the state of Washington, or was that Oregon? State of Oregon, there was a, a bill that just popped up. It was in draft form that would outlaw the sale of fur in any form. So um, the fly fishing community actually rallied behind this one really hard and effectively. And so, because, you know, if you're, you're tying bucktail jigs, right? Like there's a bucktail jig for any type of species, be it saltwater or your backyard farm pond. Um, those bucktails would have been illegal in the state of Oregon to be sold. And um, while this bill was in draft form, the word got out. Uh, everybody called, emailed the people who wrote this draft bill and they immediately changed it. Now, it's still a crap bill, and it still exists right now, but they immediately reacted to people who wrote in with well-formed thoughts about why this is a crap bill, and they amended it. And um, it's just a good example of the fact that your email, your voice, your time does matter, uh, and you gotta, you got to pay attention, and you got to take that first step of calling or writing in. And to your point, Cal, a lot of these legislatures are in session at the moment. It's a good time for all that. Yeah, man, and you cannot ignore this stuff to death. It doesn't work that way. 
like these people, um, they're, they're going to respond to the constituency that, uh, that writes in or calls or is the squeakiest wheel, however you want to put it. So, um, you know, in order to be a hunter, angler, conservationist, this is really what it takes. Like you can't just call it good by buying that duck stamp, which you should do every year. I buy multiple every year. Um, or uh, getting your, your hunting license every year. That is helpful, but there's this whole other piece of the pie that you got to tune into. Well, Cal, we appreciate you having uh, coming on the show, being here with us. We're up against the end of our time slot. Um, I know you've got a lot of content out there, though, your podcast. How can people find more of you if they want to? Oh, yeah, Um to, specifically for the stuff that we're talking about, just type in Cal's Week in Review on the old Google machine, and uh, you'll see the podcast there. It's, I try to keep it short and tight and uh, get as many laughs in as we can, uh, but we're coming into the state legislative sessions, and every state's going to have something come across that's going to affect all of us if you like to hunt and hunt and fish, so... Um, good place to tune in and get an idea of what's happening out there and take that first step of uh, writing or calling your uh, representative. A special thanks this week to our friends over at J.D. Adams and Company for their support of the Outdoor Hour, Oklahoma City's only fly shop located on the northwest corner of 122nd and North May Avenue here in OKC. A lot of good soft goods, just a great time always to be had at J.D. Adams. Yeah, some good stuff on sale as well. Uh, end of the season stuff going on at the shop. So swing by, check it out, pick up some goodies, um, and there's some exciting stuff coming. So keep posted, keep listening to the Outdoor Hour, and we'll let you know about some new stuff going on at J.D. Adams and Company. Uh, for all you Okies, uh, just a reminder that February 28th is Conservation Day at the State Capitol. If you want to step up and do what Cal is uh, recommending, be a part of the process, uh, please come up there and check it out. There'll be a variety of conservation organizations there, um, and some of us are going to go uh, knock on doors and shake hands in the afternoon and make sure that uh, they are listening to Oklahoma's hunters and anglers and uh, ensuring our success and future in this state. So uh, put that on your calendar. Uh, Conservation Day at the State Capitol, February 28th. If you want more from the Outdoor Hour, behind-the-scenes content, social media, all that, you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Outdoor underscore Hour. I'm online at T underscore Maples. That's M-A-P-L-E-S. You can find Josh on Instagram at Against underscore Current. Cal, final thoughts, final chance, plug your social media, anything like that? Oh, yeah. I mean, if you want to uh, see some really cute dog pictures and what I'm uh, cooking up for the week, you can always check out old Cal 406 on the Instagram handle. Um, and, uh, yeah, other than that, thank you so much for having me on, guys. It was fun. An hour is never long enough. we got to have you back. <laughs> Will do. No problem. This has been the Outdoor Hour. Thanks for joining us. If you've got a story to tell, a lesson you'd learned, maybe you'd like to recognize someone in your life that's introduced you to this outdoor lifestyle, 
drop us a line on social media. If you own a business and you'd like to inquire about advertising inside the Outdoor Hour on the Franchise 1077 or any other Tyler Media properties, you can send me an email and I'd be happy to connect you with someone. Taylor.m at TylerMedia.com is the place to do that. Thanks to Ryan Cal Callahan the Director of Conservation for Meat Eater, for joining us this week inside the Outdoor Hour. Until next time, go boldly. We'll see you outdoors.